This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and on its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. BMW has introduced a radically designed M concept vehicle, and we'll have the details for you. Meanwhile, a survey of auto executives find they are very bullish on the prospects for electric vehicles, and we'll tell you all about that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Rad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based at one end of the country. I'm at the other one. And one thing we have in common is testing cars for a living. That's a great thing to be able to do. So we're we love doing that. How are things with you, Chris? Things are getting cold on this side of the country, Jack. I got to tell you, we have snow and it's already uh, below freezing pretty consistently. So uh, we're deep into winter, which I guess isn't surprising for Maine in uh, late 2021 here. Yeah. Do you ever think about, uh, you know, taking a winter vacation down to Florida or something like that? <laughs> Well, you know, when I first moved here, uh, I thought I would be tough and, and tough out the winter and really loved it. But then the next April, when my friends from down south started hitting the beach and playing ball and, you know, going outside with their dogs and it was still snowing here, I had second guessed my move. But uh, we actually planned a trip to Florida in April, although that's, you know, spring for everybody else. It's still quite chilly here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think there's a lot to like about Maine. So, uh, you know, there are pluses and minuses to everywhere, right? Absolutely. And there are pluses and minuses, well, really no minuses with our terrific guest. His name is Tim Kaniskas. He is head of the Dodge brand. I had a chance to sit down with him at the Los Angeles Auto Show, and we discuss where the Dodge brand is headed as electric vehicles continue to grab headlines. And we've seen that even in what, what we talked about already on the show. Uh, I absolutely guarantee you'll find what he has to say is fascinating because Dodge, you kind of go, Dodge, electric, what's what's going on there? But uh, we will talk to him about that. In the road test segment, Chris, you will be telling us about what vehicle? The all-new Infiniti QX55. It's all new, and it's in the Infiniti QX55, so I will learn a lot about that. I had the opportunity to take my whole family, even our dog Austin, on a long-distance drive, uh, Thanksgiving time, in the 2022 Kia Carnival, and I'll be telling you about that. So that's coming up. So we have some uh, latest automotive news coming for you in the next segment, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you, and we are so happy you were with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And we are so happy you're with us right here on America on the Road. We love talking about cars, love talking about the auto industry. It's really a fascinating industry, always changing, and uh, we're lucky to be involved in it. And uh, this week, BMW has shown a concept vehicle. They call it the BMW Concept XM that... Uh, is supposedly the most powerful BMW M car ever to go into series production. That's supposed to crank up in 2022, which is right around the corner now. I mean, it's kind of shocking that we're on the verge of 2022. But um, what's your take on uh, this BMW Concept XM? It's it's sure uh, forward-looking in terms of styling, isn't it? <laughs> I think divisive is a good way to, to put it. You know, I personally don't mind the, the blocky... Uh, 
polygon look that they have and the large grill does grow on you but you know i think it it's a great move for bmw because you know people look to bmw for sort of driving excitement and those sort of things and they're bringing it with this you know this level of power uh and the looks are certainly eye-catching so they've got people talking yes and this is not an all-electric this actually is a plug-in hybrid uh with a v8 engine of all things and the power is pretty significant 750 horsepower peak torque of over 700 uh, pound-feet of torque. I mean, it's just an amazing engine and powertrain from a power point of view. And then it has some all-electric range. Not a ton of it, but up to maybe 30 miles of all-electric range. And it will go into production, or a version of the concept will go into production, in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is where they have their, their plant here. And reason being, many M vehicles are sold in the United States, probably more than anywhere else. And also they build their SUVs in Spartanburg, which makes a lot of sense because the U.S. is uh, the SUV capital of the world. So uh, a lot going on here. What's your take on the the front end? I mean, the front end is absolutely uh, divisive, as you say, uh, you know, certainly a litmus <laughs> test. Uh, how do you feel about it? Well, you know, I used to sit back and, and look at it very critically. I mean, in pictures, just at first glance, it's very, uh, it's very large. You know, I think they've, that's that's no secret. But when I drove uh, the four series earlier this year, the new four series, we talked about it on the show. Uh, that car had the large sort of grill that that started this whole deal, and people were up in arms about it. And it grew on me over time, and I realized this concept is uh, a bit more, I don't know, extreme if you want to call it that. Uh, but I think people will soften to it, and it is still a concept. So, you know, they, they have a chance to tame it down a little bit before it hits the market. I think it will be a little tamed down. What I what struck me when I saw the it from the side view, essentially in profile, was it reminded me of a Hyundai. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of the Ionic 5 or something like that. I, I think a lot of uh, car companies are going with that, um, I guess, multiple fold increases look, uh, maybe an origami look. I'm not sure I love it. It's not necessarily organic, but it certainly gets your attention. Yeah, now that you say that, uh, I think I agree with you. Looking at the side profile, uh, it is very Hyundai-esque, the Ionic 5, as you mentioned. Even the new uh, <laughs> Elantra, the Elantra inline that I tested a few weeks ago, has some of those lines, too. It's probably not what BMW, not the reference BMW wants, but it's valid. Right. Interesting cockpit, too. Uh, they're going to have a, a surface inside, which is where the cockpit is, of course, uh, made of carbon fiber that also has copper, copper thread in it. So that's a little interesting uh, bit of fill-up inside the vehicle and a curved display. I think we're going to see more and more of that. So the concepts can do what they will with uh, the displays. And I think we're going to see some really uh, interesting in interior displays as uh, the years go by, especially from the luxury brands. Yeah, and they, as long as they work well, you know, you take the Cadillac Escalade, for example, which functions quite well. Uh, it can be a very big uh, bonus in the interior. However, when they don't function well or they're a little bit confusing, uh, that's when people start complaining. So we'll see how BMW implements it. Right. Well, this vehicle will come to market as a production car um, next year, and we'll see how it does. You know, maybe being a, a, a litmus test is, is a great thing. You only need a few people who really love it to uh, to make this uh, a, a viable concept. But oh, we'll have to see. I guess that's what the beauty of M. And of course, this is the first dedicated M car since the fabled M1 from years and years and years ago. So that's exciting. Well, I alluded to this study, and it is a study 
from the accounting and consulting firm of KPMG. And frankly, it took me aback. I, I was almost blown away by uh, what this study purports to, to report. And it says auto industry executives expect electric vehicles will make up half, over half, of new vehicle sales in the United States and China by 2030. And they could do so without receiving government subsidies. This is uh, according to a report uh, from Reuters. I mean, what's your off-the-top-of-the-head off the take on that? Well, I think that they've auto companies, automakers have demonstrated that belief by the, the roadmaps that they've laid out. Uh, you know, there's uh, Mercedes, Nissan, uh, several others, even Dodge that you mentioned earlier, uh, have laid out a roadmap to add several plug-in hybrids, hybrids, and electric vehicles to their lineups by 2030. Several uh, automakers are still also saying, you know, they're going as far as saying we will sell or make 50% of our vehicles to be electrified by 2030. So uh, I think the roadmaps are are being built to get there. Uh, whether consumers actually buy them or not without subsidies or, or whether the automakers actually, you know, get there without the subsidies, I think that's a different story. But I think they definitely believe uh, that there is enough thrust to get them there. Yeah, I, I really wonder how serious, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, for an, especially in an uh, anonymous survey, to say this is going to happen. It's another thing to actually make it happen. Uh, there are things in its favor. So several automakers have got together and they have called for the phase out of combustion vehicles, internal combustion vehicles, by 2040. That's a long way off maybe even by 2035. But then the big automakers, Volkswagen and Toyota, are saying they're not going to sign on for that. We just had Cooper Erickson, uh, the Toyota product planner for North America, on our show uh, a week or so ago, saying he thought by 2030 electrics would be 10%, maybe 10% of sales in the United States. So I think 50% is you know, a bridge way too far. That's my guess. Yeah, I think you could be right. And I've said this word a million times. People are probably tired of hearing it from me and many others. But the infrastructure is, is lagging behind here, too. So uh, the automakers can make all the cars they want. But if I or you, you know, you live in a different part of the world than I do. But if I can't charge it or can't use it in cold weather or whatever the case might be, uh, I'm going to be hesitant to buy it. So I think there's you know, a lot of work to do both in infrastructure and education. So uh, we'll see what they're able to do. Yeah. Well, here are the details from the study. Uh, it said that electric vehicles will account for 52% of sales by 2030 in the United States, China, and Japan, with lower percentages, oddly, in Western Europe, where I thought electrics were more popular than here, in Brazil and in India. What is should be noted is the industry executives have widely varying views. This, again, according to uh, Reuters, and I 100% uh, believe that. Here's another thing that I, I thought, and I, I'm curious as to your comment on this. 77% of the respondents said electric vehicles can achieve mass adoption within 10 years without government aid. Uh, they're looking to uh, much lower battery costs, apparently, and to bring them in parity with uh, gas, gasoline engines. I think that's, <laughs> that's a, uh, maybe a, a bit of pie in the sky. We'll have to see on that. What, what's your take on that, Chris? Yeah, I think that's a big leap, uh, maybe even bigger than the automakers actually being able to build 50% of their production uh, in electric vehicles. You know, they're they're by and large, they're more expensive than gas vehicles now, and they also take longer to charge. And, and there's a lot of other things that go into consumer perception. But uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I feel like the government intervention uh, does drive people to buy them, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where solid state batteries and, you know, more efficient battery production can get automakers in terms of uh, their final selling price. But I anticipate or I expect that it'll still be higher than a comparable gas vehicle for quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to make them difficult to sell, I think, because a lot of people are watching every penny. Uh, they certainly are now with uh, inflation being what it is. This I found interesting, too. The most bullish executives on EVs were in the United States and China, while the most pessimistic were in France. So those Frenchmen, maybe uh, maybe they're just being more realistic. <laughs> Who knows? It, it could be the case. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some interesting vehicles, including the Infiniti QX55 and the Kia Carnival. So stay with us for that. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack D. Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack D. Red with you. It is road test time. We're excited about our road test vehicles. I, I was driving a, a minivan, and I was really excited about this minivan. Go figure. Uh, but Chris, you were driving an all-new vehicle that. Um, Maybe even more exciting. Tell us a bit about it. I enjoyed my time with it, uh, Jack. This is a 2022 Infiniti QX55. It's a brand new vehicle to the Infiniti lineup uh, for 2022. Although it is a little bit similar to the QX50, it's got its own styling and and some unique features. But uh, the trim that I tested here, it's, it's kind of interesting how Infiniti names their trims. They have the Lux trim, Essential trim, and the Sensory trim. So uh, the Lux trim starts at just uh, around $47,000. The Sensory trim that I tested clocked in just under $60,000. So a uh, pretty big spread of prices there. Uh, but for the money, you get quite a bit, especially in interior features, which uh, I'll get to in a minute. But the first thing I want to start with here is the styling. Jack, I don't know if you've seen the QX55, but typical of Infinity, it's very boldly styled. It's got a lot of curves. It's got a sloping back, so it's almost like that uh, four-door coupe shape that we see from BMW and Mercedes. Uh, standard 20-inch wheels, standard all-wheel drive, and it's got a very trick uh, two-liter uh, variable compression turbocharged engine. So uh, Infinity says that when you need more power, the compression adjusts to that, and when you're just cruising and need better fuel economy, uh, the engine adjusts its compression to that uh, level of driving. Uh, it produces 268 horsepower to all four wheels, as I mentioned, through a continuously variable transmission. And Jack, I want to get your opinion on the VC turbo engine because I'm pretty sure you've driven a vehicle with it in there before. What do you think about the engine and, and its fuel saving or its compression changing uh, technology? Well, the fact that it can change compression ratios is really amazing. Um, now, that, that being said, it doesn't strike me that when you look at the stats on the engine, they're getting much advantage from that. It doesn't seem like the fuel economy is that much better, maybe not much better at all than competitive engines that don't have that technology. So from a from an engineering point of view, it's fascinating to be able to do that. And you know, the engine jumps through flaming hoops, I think, to, to get that done. But I'm, I'm not certain from a theoretical point of view, it, it could be advantageous, but it just doesn't seem to be uh, living up to that in the real world. 
Yeah, you know, I think maybe uh, the engine was a little bit of a victim of its own timing because when they finally got around to releasing it a few years ago, there were so many great uh, hybrids and and other vehicles that deliver great fuel economy that it just didn't stick out as much as it would have maybe a few years earlier. But in any case, uh, it's a solid companion for the QX55, especially since it's not a huge, heavy uh, crossover. Uh, It feels peppy. It's turbocharged. Uh, It's let down a little bit by the CVT, the continuously variable transmission. Uh, But Nissan and Infiniti do those transmissions better than anybody so there's not a lot of engine whine or jerkiness or anything like that it's a very smooth uh, operating powertrain uh, inside the uh, the trim that I tested sensory trim it's got leather uh, upholstery heated and cooled front seats uh, it's got a heated steering wheel a nice sunroof and I really love the way they did the color uh, scheme on the inside it's got a black uh, leather with red centers uh, on the seats which really helps it pop out it uh, really helps it pop, I guess I should say, not pop out. It stays in the car. Uh, in terms of room inside, uh, now's when I'm going to tell you that I'm six feet tall. Uh, and I, will I was wondering you when you were going to tell me that, <laughs> but it's it's always good to hear. Yeah, I had to get it in. And my eight-year-old daughter, who is not all that tall, she's just shy of four feet, maybe around four feet tall, sitting behind me uh, complained frequently of kind of cramped foot and leg room. So I would say that if you're a tall driver and you have people that need to haul in the back seat, Uh, You may want to test drive it with those people before you buy it just to make sure there's enough room for you. But even with the sloped roof, there's plenty of headroom. It feels like a nice uh, a nice amount of space in there. So uh, I didn't feel cramped in terms of headroom, even in the back seat when I hopped back there to check it out. uh, It felt good. And so in terms of technology, you know, Infinity has done uh, a good job packing this car with plenty of features. It's got a dual screen infotainment system, uh, which is a little irritating to me because the bottom screen handles uh, the radio or I should say climate controls, audio controls and vehicle controls. And the top screen uh, handles things like Apple CarPlay, Android Auto and then navigation and other displays. And in practice, you know, it sounds like that would be great. Acura did it a while ago. But the effect is, you know, you're looking at two different screens and the mix of physical and on-screen controls can be a little clunky. I expect that if I owned the vehicle and had more than a week with it, it might become uh, more second nature, especially when you're driving. But in the week that I had it, it was a little bit difficult to get my learning curve, I guess, up to speed uh, to use it with any level of real comfort. Uh, what I would say is I think that if this vehicle, uh, the best price point for this vehicle is the middle trim. You know, I think $60,000 is a little bit much to spend, especially with the space that you get. Uh, if you go with the mid-range essential trim, you're spending around $53,000, $52,000. You get plenty of safety pack uh, features, all the tech that you need, and, and the great styling. So all around a very pretty vehicle. Uh, I think it's compelling from a feature uh, set standpoint, and I think a lot of people enjoy it. Absolutely, I you know it's one of those vehicles I think is a nice handy size and uh, for the uh, luxury vehicle buyer or the premium vehicle buyer. And I I'm I'm not certain whether Infinity is really luxury or is it premium. Um, what's your take on that? I think they're in the same category as you know maybe Acura. People think of them as sort of fancy Nissans, like people think of Acura's fancy Honda, but uh, their positioning. I don't know. Would I shop them against a BMW or uh, a Mercedes-Benz? Probably, especially at the price point. I think that might be their their strong su- their strong suit there. But uh, they're in that kind of middle ground that makes it an awkward sell for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, and I know about being awkward because uh, I do that pretty <laughs> much every day. So I, I get that. But uh, so that's going on. A lot to like about that vehicle, and uh, it's, it's exciting. I was driving a vehicle that was maybe not quite as exciting to drive, but uh, certainly fulfilling to drive, and that is the new Kia Carnival MPV. Basically, with the Carnival MPV, this is a minivan, and to me, Kia has come kind of come out of nowhere 
to be very competitive in the minivan space with this new Carnival MPV minivan. I think it's a home run all the way around. I think it, it looks great. It has some SUV-like uh, design features to it. My wife took a look at it and she said, oh, they're trying to be an SUV. And uh, well, she's spot on because <laughs> that was their intention. Has a nice engine, so that's good. Plenty of power. Uh, good towing capability, but I think really the the story here is uh, the interior seating, just the way it's decked out. I think you can have it in several different ways with several different seating configurations, either seven or eight passenger uh, room, and it's got a lot of interior room. It has tons of cargo room. We as the Nerad family drove uh, from our home uh, on the coast uh, into the the desert of Southern California at Thanksgiving time in this vehicle. And we found it just to be spectacular for, for what we were doing. You know, the, the uh, two uh, older adults and then the three <laughs> adult children and our uh, adult dog uh, were all in the car and we had a, had a great time and super comfortable for everybody. Of course, uh, my uh, middle daughter ended up in the, the third row because it has two captain's chairs in the second row. And We've had discussions about this before, Chris. I, almost as often as we talk about you being six feet tall, uh, <laughs> we talk about uh, captain's chairs or not. You can actually do it either way. There's a, a pretty nifty uh, middle bench seat uh, that's uh, kind of convertible into two separate seats and a, and a, a middle seat that uh, can slide forward uh, if you have, say, a child seat in there. Or you have these essentially almost like first-class airline seats uh, as a second row. Uh, that's also really good. And when it comes to uh, automatic doors, well, you are certainly covered. The power sliding doors on both sides, or of course, uh, operate hands-free if you want. There is a hands-free smart power lift gate with the automatic close feature, uh, which is good. Uh, it's good to have that rear lift gate closed as you drive off with your luggage so it doesn't end up on the street as you accelerate away. And then um, the smart key will allow you to close everything uh, just by uh, pressing a button. So in terms of a family vehicle, uh, this is, uh, like I say, come out of nowhere. What's your take on the Carnival, Chris, as one of the minivans out there? I spent a week with the Carnival back in early summer of this year, and man, I was super surprised. So I think, first of all, Kia did the right thing with styling. A lot of people love to hate minivans because they're kind of frumpy. They're a little, you know, round and not all that great looking. But the SUV styling, you know, it looks a little bit like a Telluride SUV, which is one of the hottest selling vehicles anywhere right now. So uh, good for them for, for latching onto that. I tested a mid-range trim that wasn't even the top top model and the interior finishes are great as you stated plenty of room um, i'm a big proponent of captain's chairs in the second row i think it creates your own sort of demilitarized zone between your kids uh, even though mine are very well behaved they love having that space and it makes it easier to walk through the cabin and then there's the overall space you know the the doors the automatic doors make it very easy to load and unload kids and cargo uh, once I dropped the kids off at school, I folded the seats down and went to Home Depot and picked up two screen doors, two big screen doors in the thing, uh, and had no trouble doing all of those things all in one day uh, and had room to spare. So all around, you know, if you can stand a minivan, check out the Carnival because it's definitely the closest thing to, uh, I guess, a crossover of an SUV that a minivan could be right now. Right. It has jumped up to be one of the go-to minivans. I would say uh, the Toyota Sienna is another one to take a look at. It's all hybrid these days, so uh, it has that going for it. And in the Carnival's case, it has uh, a very powerful 
uh, V6 engine. It also handles quite well. I mean, we were driving through some uh, heavy winds uh, in the desert, uh, among other things, and uh, found that it handled those extremely well. So, uh, And like I say, plenty of cargo room. Best-in-class cargo room, uh, best-in-class passenger room. Uh, it's really kind of jumped up to the head of the class here among minivans, or certainly to, to be one of them. Uh, interestingly enough, there's some really good minivans out there right now, aren't there? Yeah, it's a great time to be a family uh, car shopper. Well, I guess, you know, aside from chip shortages and higher prices around, but uh, yeah, the, the Carnival is a great choice and a, an incredibly strong segment all of a sudden. Yeah, who would guess? Uh, you know, a lot of people <laughs> thought minivans would go away, and, and yet they haven't gone away. In fact, they've got better than ever, so... Interesting vehicles this time around, the Infiniti QX55, all new, and uh, the Kia Carnival, a new nameplate uh, replacing the Sedona, uh, the venerable Sedona, a Kia Carnival MPV minivan. So take a look at that one and uh, a couple interesting vehicles this time around. When we come back, we will be interviewing Tim Kaniskis, who is the head of the Dodge brand, fascinating stuff to say about where Dodge is going in the future. So stay with us for that. And when we come back, we'll have that for you right here on America on the Road. So stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Murad with you. And uh, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Tim Kaniskas has been with us before. He's head of the Dodge brand. Thanks so much for being with us. Tell us a bit about where Dodge is going to go. Because I think a lot of people have some questions about that. That is a great question. I'm glad you started off with that question because that's exactly why we're here at the LA Auto Show today. Um, Because we just launched our two-year business plan. And it's kind of funny. Every big company launches a business plan, right? And they do a capital market day. And the reason that they do that is they take the analysts and the investors through what the future is going to be to give them confidence to invest in their company. Well, Dodge is a part of a company, right? So we don't have a capital market day. We don't have stock. We don't have things that we want to get people, you know, excited about the future to invest in our stock. But we do have investors. We have wholesale investors, which are our dealers, and we have retail investors, which are our customers. And the customer is ultimately the most important thing to driving all of this, because if the customer doesn't have confidence in you and where you're going, you're really not going to go anywhere. So we launched this business plan called Never Lift. And what we said was, it was a follow-up to July 8th. On July 8th was our EV day for the full company, Stellantis. And Dodge was one of the presenters at that EV day. And on July 8th, we said that we're going to transition to electrification, but we're going to do it in a very Dodge way. We're going to redefine what American muscle is going to be. You could say, depending on if you like the brand, don't like the brand, have confidence in the brand, don't have confidence in the brand, those air quotes could mean a couple different things. It could mean... They're confident they got something up their sleeve or they're just, you know, selling us slowing smoke. smoke. Yeah. Yeah, Right. So so we said, you know, we need to do the same thing that other people do to give confidence of the future of what this brand is all about, where we're going and how we know who these customers are. We know what they want and we're going to transition properly for them. Because when you lay a line in the sand like that and you say in 24 months, I'm going to go to electrification, you create two camps. Right. So when we did that. I got feedback from customers that were super excited. Wow, this is cool. Dodge is going into the electrification space. I'll bet you guys are going to do something cool, fun. I can't wait to see it. Well, there was another camp that said, 
how dare you? I thought you were going to be the holdout. What are you doing? I don't ever want to transition to electrification. And so we said, well, hang on. We said that we're going to redefine it. We're going to make sure that we deliver you a proper Dodge. We're going to deliver you a proper muscle car. It's going to be a Dodge first, electrification second. We're, we're not going to sell you an electric car. We're going to sell you a Dodge muscle car that happens to be electrified. There's a big difference in it. But when you do that, when you say that two years out, that's just talk. So we said, we got to give them a business plan. We got to show them what the future is going to be. And so we launched this thing called Never Lift. Never Lift is literally 24 garage doors that are going to open up over the next 24 months. And it's going to seem schizophrenic at first, but when you get to the end and you look back, and the end of it's going to be the new electrified American muscle. When you get to the end and look back, it'll make sense. Because along the way, you're going to be schizophrenic because some of the doors are going to open up and they're going to be announcements about pure ice vehicle. Other doors are going to open up and they're going to be... Internal combustion engine Absolutely. vehicles. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And other doors are going to open up and they're going to be about electrification. So one of the doors is going to open up. It's going to be a, a new PHEV for the brand. So, okay, now I see where you're going with yeah, that. Yeah, so you've got plug-in hybrids, you've got pure electrics, yep. and you also have conventional Dodges that everybody... Does. One great thing about Dodge is that people understand what Dodge is. Like it, dislike it, whatever, you get it. I think most people out there get it. And that's as great things about what you've done with the brand, right? You know, so. I, I can't tell you, that's a huge compliment, thank you. And it's not a compliment to me, it's a compliment to all the people that work on Dodge, because we talk all the time about the most important thing is your brand positioning and your attachment to that brand, we say all the time, it's a huge industry, right? And within that huge industry, we are a part of the industry and we're a part of Stellantis and we're a part of our showroom, which sells Chrysler, Jeeps, Dodge, and Rams and everything. We're just a part of this little puzzle. And if we can be, I don't know, make up a number. If we can be 3% of that total industry, that's huge. So if 3% of the population that's gonna buy 17 million vehicles says, I got to buy a Dodge. I want to buy a Dodge. I don't need to buy a Dodge. I want to buy a Dodge. Right. That's huge. And then if the other 97% are never going to buy it, but understand it, get it, you know what? They say, I don't want a tattoo, but I understand why you do. Okay. I think what you're talking about here is brand enthusiasm, right? Not, not brand acceptance, not brand awareness, but people enthusiastic about your brand. And I think people have to be enthusiastic about a brand for the brand to really be successful. What's your take on that? In an industry where you have all of the nameplates and all of the trim models that we have, if you don't have a defined positioning, all you're gonna do is com compete on commoditized components like price, fuel economy, things like that. That's not a sustainable business model. You have to create the attachment to the brand. You gotta create the want instead of the need. Let's talk a bit about uh, making enthusiast appropriate electric vehicles, right? I, I, there's kind of an inherent, even though electric, I've driven a lot of electrics recently, tons of them. And some of them are stupefyingly quick. You know, zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds, kind of quick, that kind of thing. At the same time, they don't feel like a performance car, quote unquote. So how do you get there? with uh, electrification? You know, that is gonna be one of the garage doors that's gonna open for us. Early next year, we're gonna show the concept of what our future of American muscle's gonna be. And it's not gonna be a glam model. It's not gonna be a pull off the sheet and say, oh, look at how beautiful it is. We're gonna build an actual full-on performance driver because we want to, I said it was gonna be schizophrenic. We wanna take the people in the camp that say, I'm excited about electrification and we want to really get them excited, but we also want to take the people that say, I don't want electrification because I don't think that's proper American muscle. I want 
an internal combustion engine. We want to show them the things that we're going to patent on this car that we think are going to make electrification cool and fun and make it fitting with American muscle. Because your point is dead on. It's easy to go fast in an electric car, but does that make it a muscle car? No, absolutely doesn't. It's, it's so easy to make a fast electric car because it's instantaneous torque. But we say performance is an attitude. There's a lot more to it than just the output of the engine. Can you hint at some of that? I know you're not going to tell me the whole thing because you shouldn't <laughs> at, at this point, but uh, you know, hint at some of the ways you can get there. I, I'll, give you the, I'll give you one hint. Go to an amusement park and you got all the different rides at the amusement park, right? There's going to be one that's this crazy roller coaster, twists and turns and flips and rolls and all that, and there's a three hour wait to get in. And there's another one that's just a straight drop. It's a 15 minute line to get into that one. The straight drop is super fast, right? but it didn't have the fun. It didn't have the excitement. It didn't have the emotion of that roller coaster. Yeah, it's not the visceral experience, really. It's not really. the yeah. experience. Yeah. There's more to it than that just hit of power. There's a more to the equation. You're at the Los Angeles Auto Show. Haven't seen auto shows in a while. How do you feel about auto shows going forward and as a, a platform to do what you need to do at Dodge? I think auto shows are extremely important. There's, there's one thing about going on a website, and we get 3 million people a month that come on our website and look at our cars, and that's great. Um, but we don't build cars where you're going to make a spreadsheet and say, what is the price, what is the fuel economy, what is the average cost of ownership, blah, 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 blah. Our cars are very emotional. They're, they're very, nobody needs to buy a Dodge, let's be honest. Nobody needs one but they want them. And to create that want, you gotta see the car, you gotta see the fun colors, you gotta get in it, smell the leather, see how it looks in person. That's what gets people excited about making these decisions to buy wants cars instead of needs cars. So experiential events, auto shows, things like that are very important to us. Well, and as Dodge, you sell in a particular price range and for, uh, for the performance you deliver, heavy value, big time value. So how do you retain that going to electrification, which is inherently a lot more expensive? Electrification is extremely expensive. Um, the best thing that's gonna happen t for enthusiasts is the fact that everyone is going in that direction. And, and you know, the, the wheel is turning, the ball is rolling, this thing's not gonna slow down because people are making investments. And once you make investments, that's gonna become the future. But when that happens, when people build plants for battery capacity and EDM capacity and all that stuff, when you get the economy of scale of all of that, then the price points of EDMs and batteries and things will come down. And when it comes down, it's just like when hot rodding first began. And when the price becomes accessible, then the crazies can get involved. Then we can take the stuff that was intended to be mainstream and we can make it fun and exciting for the enthusiasts. You talk about a bit about hot rodding and I think it's kind of dear to both of our hearts. You know, I, I have that kind of tradition in my head for, for sure. But with electrics it, and, and going forward, Will we have that same ability to work on our cars, to change things, to modify, to make them faster, better, or <laughs> do what we will sometimes not even doing that? You know, people always say to me, they say, hey, you're kind of the muscle car guy. What's going to be the future? What about electrification? Aren't you worried about it? Absolutely not. Performance is not going to go away. How we accomplish the performance is going to change. If you think back to the first internal combustion engines, right? Horses went away because cars were better. I remember it well. Well, when the horse went away and the car was better, 
people looked at the car and they said, okay, how do we differentiate the car? They started hot rodding the car. They started changing the car. They started making it faster. I mean, you you know the history, right? And then people started racing and, and it just evolved from there. The same thing is going to happen with electrification. There hasn't been the... There hasn't been the push for it yet because the, I call them the crazies. The people like us haven't gotten involved in them yet, but when they do, it's going to get fun because electrification opens up things that you can't do today. If I have a car today that is 600 horsepower and I say, I want to make it 700 horsepower, in the aftermarket, super easy. I put a smaller pulley on it, you know, I rich in the mixture, I can make it another 100 horsepower. In the real world, that is a two-year development cycle. I've got to certify the car. It is a huge investment. Electrification, it's all gone. I can do an over-the-air update for another 50 horsepower tomorrow if I want, which is good and bad. Right. It's good and bad because if all you're going to do is say, I got an XYZ 0 to 60, you can be outdone five minutes after you launch your car. You can walk off stage announcing your new car and somebody can do an over-the-air update and pass you the next day. So it's going to be more about building the brand, creating the attachment, and making that personality and that attitude of your brand come through. That's what's going to be the differentiator. One part of the attachment is design, exterior design, interior design, all of that styling. We've seen, uh, even today, uh, here at the auto show, we're looking at electrics that are going off in some kind of interesting ways. Let's put it that way in terms of design. How do you retain the essential dodgeness of your vehicles, which you want to have, that excitement that you want to deliver? Do it at a price and do it with electricity. I love that question. Thank you. Um, Because if you think about it, we already know what's going to happen. The the best idea of what's going to happen in the future is looking back, right? So when everything went to UVs, think about this from Forget about brands and forget about what the car looks like. Just think about the silhouette of the car. If you had a sedan, it was always called a three box. First box was the engine compartment, then there was the passenger compartment, then there was the trunk. When everything went to UV, it went to what's called, quote, a two box. So you basically lost the trunk and you had the engine compartment and you had the passenger compartment. When you did that, you took away one third of the capability of a designer to differentiate that car. That's why when you look at three box designs versus two box designs, it's a lot easier to really differentiate and stylize three box design versus a two box design. Now fast forward to electrification. The same thing has happened in electrification. The battery is extremely expensive in an electrified car. So the key to getting the price point accessible for a consumer is to put the smallest battery possible in it, balancing the equation between the cost of the battery and the range that's gonna be acceptable for that customer. The only way to do that is to get more efficient, different battery designs or easier, more aerodynamic. That's why if you look at the silhouette of electrified cars, they sit high because they got a big battery pack underneath them and they have a two box design because UVs are the rage and they have a very similar silhouette not because they're trying to look the same, it's because they need to have the best aerodynamics possible so that they can have the smallest possible battery. So your point was, how do you make a Dodge look that way? I think we have a very unique space because when you look at our cars, we range, take a Challenger for example, we range from $30,000 up to $90,000. But the $30,000 car looks shockingly like the $90,000 car. We don't differentiate with wheels and bumpers and trims and things like that because quite honestly, you could never span $60,000 with that stuff. We do it with performance. And when you step up into those higher performance cars, take a red eye, for example, the driving range of a red eye is 170 miles. 
but no one has ever complained. It's not a commuter car for them. It is a fun Well, car. it's 170 miles or unlimited, depending on how you look at it, because with a gas station on every corner, sure. you, your sure. range is not an issue, sure. as it would be with an electric. Sure, but most of the people that are buying the highest ends of our cars, these are not their everyday commuter cars. No, this is going to cars and coffee and showing off. It's yeah. it's a wants car, not a needs car. I don't need to bring to market a commoditized EV. Just because we're going to transition to EV, we're going to build Dodges and not just commoditized cars. Very, very good. What should the consumer know about Dodge before we sign off here, Tim? The, the most important thing they need to know about Dodge is you know who we are today. We spent the last eight years purifying this brand and really honing in on being America's performance brand and the attitude that comes along with that, and we are not going to lose that. Well, Tim Kaniskas, the godfather of Dodge, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is the final segment of this week's show, and that is our listener question segment. We have a pretty interesting listener question for you. Here is the question. It's from Lonnie in Austin, Texas. Someone told me that some cars and trucks being built now don't have all the features they had before because of the microchip shortage. Is that true? And if it is, what should I do about it? Well, that is absolutely true. Uh and that's unfortunate. But what I will say is this, you know, automakers like General Motors, especially with uh, their large SUVs, they want to keep those vehicles rolling off the line. And in order to do that, uh, they've made the choice to cut some features and some of which may be able to be added back uh, via, you know, the dealer service department later on. But these are features such as uh, heated steering wheels, heated seats, cooled seats, those sorts of things. The weight that you place on those features is up to you. But I would say ask your dealer uh, and figure out which vehicles they have that are, are equipped with the things that you want uh, and go that route if you absolutely need a vehicle. And I think that is our show for this week. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. You always do a marvelous job as co-host. Thank you so much for having me, Jack, and thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll say if you like what you heard and you want to listen more, head to sportsmapradio.com and check out the Saturday's schedule. Our show is there at 7 a.m., and you can find our podcast directory there as well for more uh, back episodes and, and more reviews. Absolutely. Check all that out. Uh, we'd love to have you listen to our podcast, and we'd love to have you join us again right here next week for another edition of America on the Road. For Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerat saying... Goodbye for now, and we'll talk to you again next week right here on America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance at drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, or just want some automotive information, go to drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com for all your automotive information. It's the official website of America on the road.